Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. All right, today we're going to start a two-part message entitled Mr. or Mrs. President. Six things I would like to say to our next president. But I want to set this up. I'm going to take a few minutes. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs 14, it says that righteousness exalts a nation, but that sin is a reproach to any people. And many don't realize this, but the leaders of a nation, they set the course and they set the standard for the nation to bring blessing to the nation or to bring a curse on that nation. Uh, it's been some time ago and we, we had a president who was playing around with an intern, right? The whole thing became public, everything that he did. And, and literally it, it, it brought the moral standard of our nation down about five notches just what a president had done. But it says this in 2 Kings, listen, verse 24. It is clear that these disasters fell on Judah as a direct command of the Lord. He had decided to wipe Judah out of his sight because of the many sins of Manasseh, the king. For he had filled Jerusalem with blood and the Lord would not pardon it. Another translation says, till there was no more remedy. What Manasseh did affected the entire nation. Now, our founding fathers understood this. This is what they understood. They understood that because nations do not go into the eternal kingdom, that nations are judged now. A nation is judged now. Not because there's going to be no judgment, eternal judgment for nations, that nations are judged now. Again, in 1 Kings 21, he says, I'm going to bring disaster on you and I'll wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every man in Israel because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. Now, Ahab didn't just sin. He caused Israel to sin. He was living in sin, in rebellion. He turned his back on God. But as a result of what he did, the nation did the same. In fact, God said it this way, there were only 7,000 people in the entire nation that were not bell worshipers. And it was a result of Ahab. Listen, we need godly leaders in America. Godly leadership. Righteousness that exalts a nation, right? Now, it was June of last year that our Supreme Court made a decision concerning gay marriage and decided that it was a constitutional right. And uh, several people have asked me, you know, why didn't we respond to that? And, and at the time, I didn't really think we needed a response, but let me give you, let me give you our response, right? When you become a Christian, the Bible says you're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. When you become a Christian, you become a part of a different kingdom. And that kingdom has its own rules, its own morals, its own standards. When Jesus came in Mark chapter uh, one, this is what he said. He said, time's up. God's kingdom's here. Rethink your life. What Jesus came to announce was the kingdom of God. Most of us have the idea that what Christianity is, is that Christianity is a religion or Christianity is a relationship. And, and there's some truth to that. Right? But the truth, the, the, the real truth, if you were to ask Jesus, what is Christianity? This is what Jesus will tell you. Christianity is a kingdom. He said, he came and announced God's kingdom is here. He told us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In the Lord's prayer, we pray your kingdom come. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Literally, your government come, right? Now, by the way, our Supreme Court, they've messed up before. They're going to mess up again, right? And it was nothing new, right? For example, in 1857, in the Dred Scott case, our, our, our Supreme Court said that a black person, whether slave or free, was not protected under the Constitution of the United States. How many of you know that was a messed up decision, right? They did it in the past, all right? It got reversed. Anything they do now, it can get reversed. The, the fact is that spiritually, this world is getting darker and darker, right? And that should not surprise us, right? Jesus said, like it was in the days of Noah, when God looked and there was just continual wickedness, Jesus said, like it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, so will it be at the time of the return of the Son of Man. Now, in Isaiah chapter 60, it says, arise and shine, for your light has come. For the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise on thee, and his glory shall be upon you. Look, as the world gets darker... God says, my glory is going to be on you. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And as it gets darker, your light is going to shine brighter. He's saying the glory of the Lord is going to be on you. Now, concerning the, the question, well, the Supreme Court said, well, we're Christians and we follow what Jesus said. Now, listen, anybody who predicts their death and resurrection and pulls it off, we just follow him no matter what he says. So this is what Jesus said. The Pharisees come to Jesus, Matthew 19. And they're testing him. He said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And he answered them and said, have you not read? And, and by the way, that was a bit of an insult because they hadn't only read, they had memorized that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, quotes Genesis 2:24, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. For they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So, so they're asking about divorce, and Jesus answers the divorce question, and he answers the marriage question. Right? Now, when Jesus is asked the question, again, remember what Jesus does. Jesus takes them to the beginning. Right? The reason for that is in Bible interpretation, the number one principle is the principle of first mention, which is the first time that God mentions a subject in the Bible, right? He lays down the predominant truths about that subject. So when they ask Jesus a theological question, Jesus immediately goes to the beginning. In fact, then they say, well, Moses permitted us to divorce our wives. And what Jesus, Jesus said, yeah, God permitted you to do that because of the hardness of your hearts. But in the beginning, where does Jesus go back? In the beginning, it was not so. Jesus says, if you want the pattern, look at the beginning. Well, here's the beginning. The Supreme Court did not institute or create marriage. Did you know that? God did. And when he did, this is how God instituted marriage. He had one Adam and one Eve. Got that? One man, one woman, and God said, this is marriage. Right? Now, somebody says, well, well, what if we want to do it different? Well, here, here's the thing. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said that God takes the two and makes them one. For God 
To make the two one, you got to have one man and one woman. One man, one woman. Somebody says, yeah, but in the Bible there was polygamy. You want to talk to Jesus about that? I'll tell you what he's going to tell you. Yeah, but in the beginning, it was not so. It was never God's plan, right? God's plan is one man, one woman, and God takes the two and makes them one, right? That's God's plan. Now, you say, yeah, but the Supreme Court said, yeah, but their word. Listen, the word of the Lord, it endures forever, all right? The word of the Supreme Court, it endures till the next time there's a chance for it to change, all right? It's a man's opinion, right? But God created marriage. God instituted marriage. And God said, it's one man and it's one woman, all right? So Jesus calls us to a higher standard in the kingdom of God. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He said, but I tell you, don't resist that evil person. And whoever slaps you on the right cheek, offer him the other also. Jesus is saying, what the world does, that's at one level. But in the kingdom of God, he said, I call you to a higher and a different level. When the disciples of Jesus are being persecuted and said, you can't preach in Jesus' name anymore. This is what they say. They said, we must obey God rather than man. And when man says one thing and God says something else, always stick with God. His word endures forever. And in the end, he is the judge. He is the righteous judge. Now, again, we're called to a higher standard. It is legal here in America for you to go to the store this afternoon, buy six fists of whiskey and go home and get canned. That is legal. But you know what? It's not scriptural. All right. The Bible condemns drunkenness. All right. It's not wrong to have a drink, but it's wrong to get drunk. It is wrong. Now, the world says it's fine, but the Bible says, no, do not do that. All right. It is legal to go home and turn your your computer on and watch pornography, right? It's legal. But is it right in the kingdom of God? Absolutely not. Jesus said, don't even lust after a person in your heart because then you're committing adultery in your heart. What the Supreme Court says has little effect on us as Christians because we're part of a different kingdom that has a much higher standard, right? And remember, you're part of that kingdom. You've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of of the son of his love into his government. What is a kingdom? It's the domain of the king, right? And you and I are part of King Jesus' domain, all right? So what is our attitude? What do we, what, what do we say to the gay, to the lesbian, to the, to the transsexual? First Corinthians 6, let me read you a couple of verses. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's going to talk about lots of unrighteous things. It says, don't be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Now, there's quite a list there. All right. I want to just confess something to you. I've been tempted to do most of those things. Don't look so holy. 
Has anybody else been tempted to do anything in the list? All right, just one check. Just one check. All right. I mean, no, temptation is not a sin. It's not a sin. And I've done some of the things in that list. And I'm not, a, I'm, Jeannie, Jeannie usually confesses my sins. I'm confessing my, myself today, all right? You know, but, but we were washed and we were sanctified and we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and of our God. So let me say something. We welcome every gay, every lesbian, every transsexual. You're welcome here. And we want to minister to you, to your family, to your kids, to your friends. But listen, we will not validate your lifestyle. But we are here to love you. And we are here to bring you to Jesus. I believe that Jesus would have open arms to every sinner. Do you believe that? I believe that. All right. Now, and, and I believe that there, there's a way that this is what the Bible says. There's a way that looks right to a man. But in the end, it brings death. And, and do you know, how many of you know that if you listen to your body all the time, you'd be a mess. You would be a mess. All right. And, and I think it's, it's true also when it comes to this transgender thing that we're, we're facing right now in our society. I read this recently, and the, the, the most extensive study of sexual realigned people took place over 30 years in Sweden, where the culture is very strongly supportive of transsexuals, right? And they documented that in these people, there was just a lifelong unrest. And 10 to 15 years after the reassignment, the suicide rate of those people that had undergone reassignment surgery had rose 20 times the national average. That's an increase of 2,000%. They thought they were going to get peace. They thought it was going to fulfill them. But you know what? The exact opposite happened. And Jesus told us, the church, that we're here to proclaim liberty to captives, right? To bring liberty to those that are oppressed. And if there is a group of people in our society today, any group of people that need Jesus, we're here to introduce them to Jesus. That is the purpose of the church. Now, All of us, whether we wanted to or not, we've been seeing what's been going on, particularly the last several months, you know, with with, uh, the the, the process of selecting candidates, all right? And and by the way, the the Republicans, they reminded me of big time wrestling when I was a kid. I mean, it it was nothing but verbal jousting, all right? It was crazy. It was ugly. It was off point. All right. But I believe it it looks like now we're going to have Donald Trump representing the Republicans. We're going to have most likely Hillary representing the Democratic Party. Right. And I want to talk to you about our responsibility before we talk to the future president as Christians. What are we to do in Ezekiel chapter 22 in verse 30? Listen, it says, I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall to stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none, right? Now, here's the condition. 
They, they have politicians there that were in it for personal gain. There were priests that were violating the word of God. They were killing the innocent. There was extortion, oppression, immorality, and injustice. And God said, I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap. They said, I'm looking for somebody who will stand before me on behalf of the land, right? And this undoubtedly is talking about prayer. But if we think that it's only talking about prayer, we have a very limited view of what this is, what this is saying. That word there, that gap, it means to burst forth or to break through the breach, right? Now, part of that is prayer, right? God's heart for the land was to stop the, out, the, the outbreak, the rampant outbreak of wickedness that was taking place. But I believe that today in America, voting is just as much standing in the gap as praying is standing in the gap. I believe voting is a critical act of intercession. And it is an opportunity that we have to stand in the gap. Now, in the, the, the uh, most recent elections, only 50% of evangelicals have even registered to vote. And listen, only 25% have voted. Half of those that were registered to vote, voted, all right? Now, we, God, God says, stand in the gap, all right? Break through that breach. Part of it is definitely prayer, but the other part of it is definitely get out and vote. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, listen, it says, therefore, I exhort first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, that's for presidents, for prime ministers, for all who in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Now notice it says, first of all. So when it comes time to pray, number one is not me, myself, and I. Number one is not what I want. Number one isn't even my family. Number one is pray for those that are in authority. Now, I know that most of us are not doing it. You say, how do you know? I know because the more you pray, the less you talk. And, and you listen, and there's a lot of talking going on. Right? Now, this is, what, this is what, what the Bible tells us in the New Testament. It says, speak no evil of the ruler of your people. Right? Now, when it says that, listen, it is not talking about policies. It's talking about attacking the individual. Right? And it says, do not attack the individual. Right? Now, I'm going to say something. I did, not I did not vote for Obama. But I pray for him every single day. Right? And you may, you say, but I don't even like them. You don't need to like them. You need to pray for them. How many of you know anybody who's in a position of authority needs prayer? And express especially the head of the free world. In a nation where so much of the world looks to us to find out what is right and what is wrong, we need to be praying. Right? So whether you like them or don't like them, whether you vote for them or don't vote for them, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we first of all pray for them because we're not going to get help from the White House and we're not going to get help from the, the Supreme Court. We're not going to get our help from the educational system. If we're going to get help, we're going to get help from heaven. And if we're going to get help from heaven, it's going to be because we as Christians do what we should do. 
right? And it begins with prayer, right? But not just pray, vote, vote. We have, we, we have an opportunity to do this. Now, let me just remind you, God is in favor of representative government. The first man was Adam. And by the way, he represented you. And the Bible says that through one man, Adam, death entered into the world. Sin entered the world. Death, sin, sickness, disease, war, prejudice, every evil thing you can think of entered in because one man that represented us, Adam, blew it. And how many of you want to talk to him when you get to heaven? We have got, he's not going to be popular. Right? But then 1 Corinthians 15 says that God sent the last Adam and that he is the Lord from heaven. The Bible calls Jesus the last Adam. He was the last representative man. And what God did at the cross, Jesus represented you. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men into or unto myself. This he spoke, the Bible says, of the death that he would die. When Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. He wasn't saying, if I be worshiped in a worship service. He's saying, if I go to that cross, he said, when I go to that cross, I'm going to represent every single person. He was the last Adam. And just like we partook of the nature of the first Adam, 1 Corinthians 15 says, we're going to partake of the nature of the last Adam of Jesus. Representative men. In fact, we can say it like this. The whole Bible is written about two men. Their name is Adam. The first one lived in the garden, married Eve. The last one is Jesus, the Lord from heaven. And both represented us. And when God looks at humanity, he sees every single person connected to one of the two Adams. The first Adam or the last Adam. God doesn't look and see the Japanese and the the Chinese and the Canadians and the Americans, God looks and sees first Adam, last Adam, in Christ, in Adam. We have, we have a we are representative government and God instituted representative government. And we as believers, we need to pray. We need to vote. All right. And again, people say, well, you're talking politics. No, we're talking kingdom. We're talking kingdom. Jesus said, God's kingdom is here. Isaiah 9 and 6, for the government will be upon his shoulders. Matthew chapter 13, seven times in one chapter, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like. He referred to Christianity as a kingdom. In Jesus' mind, Christianity is not a religion. It's not even a relationship, although that's part of it. What Christianity is, is it is a kingdom. And again, a kingdom is the domain of the king. Our king is Jesus. And by the way, in Matthew 28, Jesus said to make disciples of all nations, not in all nations, but of all nations. Jesus wants nations to follow him, not just individuals, but nations. How can that happen in our nation if we do not pray and we do not vote as believers? Daniel said this in Daniel chapter 2. He says, in the days of those kings, the kings that are alive when Jesus returned, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. 
and the kingdom will not be left to another people. And it will break in pieces and consume all earthly kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. When the angel appeared to Mary, said about Jesus, and he will sit on the throne of his father, David. What's he going to do? He's going to rule. He's going to rule. All right. So I don't want you to think in terms, and the Bible does not want us to think in terms of spiritual and secular. Or people think, well, I've got my church life and then I've got my work life. You know, I've got my walk with God and then I've got my dating life or my sex life. And they're, they're, they're separate. You know, we think, well, there's, there's Christian music and there's non-Christian music. I want you to know something. Everything is spiritual. Your job is spiritual. Your relationships are spiritual. What you do with your money is spiritual. Music, all of it, it's spiritual. Somebody said, well, it's just got to be Christian. And I said, well, what makes it Christian? They said, well, Jesus is mentioned. Well, that really rocks my world because my favorite song, by the way, my favorite song is the number one Christian song of all time. It's Amazing Grace. And Jesus is not mentioned once in all four verses. But how many of you know it's spiritual? It's spiritual. Man, that, that, that thing just gives me goosebumps on my goosebumps. All right? Romans 10, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus or Jesus as your Lord. When Jesus comes into our life, he does not come simply to be a guest. He comes to take over. All right? He comes as Lord of all. Somebody said, if he's not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all, right? He is, the, the, there is nothing in our life that doesn't come under his Lordship. In Colossians 3 and verse 4, it says, when Christ, who is our life, appears. Say it again. When Christ, who is our life, he's not a slice of your life. He's not your Sunday morning life or your spiritual life. Christ is your life. Every part of our life, it comes under Jesus' lordship. When he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So, so we need to understand everything is spiritual, right? Your work is spiritual. Your marriage is spiritual. Your, your sex life is spiritual. What you do with your money is spiritual. And what we do in standing with our government, it is a spiritual thing. And we're called to pray, we're called to vote. Let me give you one more scripture here. Uh, James chapter 5. The earnest prayer of the righteous man has tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. When that, that earnest, heartfelt prayer, right? It's powerful. It's dynamic. How so? It gives us this example. Elijah was a human being with a nature such as we have with feelings, affections, and a constitution like ours. We think about people in the Bible, and we think, man, they were just like super holy. They never had any problems. Listen, this guy, he had a pity party to beat the band. I'm alone. I'm the only one that's lived. Just kill me, God. Just kill me. I just want to get, just die. Right? He is depressed. He runs from the will of God. He's got this pity party going on. Oh, God. All right. He prayed. This guy prayed earnestly. It wouldn't rain and no rain fell on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heavens supplied rain and the earth produced crops as usual. Don't think God is not listening to your prayers. 
Somebody says, yeah, but it says the righteous man's prayer. And I'm not righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he that knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All right, three minutes. Number one, I would want to apologize to our future president that we have not prayed for him more. Because as believers, we're called to pray. The first thing we're to do is to pray for those that are in authority. And the Bible gives us the example of Elijah who prayed and the result of his prayers was a nation turned back to God. When he prayed, there were only 7,000 people in the entire nation of Israel that had not bowed their knee to Baal. But yet as a result of his prayers and actions, the nation turned back to God. Samuel said this, he said, as for me, far be it from me that I would sin against the Lord and cease praying for you. Do you know as believers, it's a sin for us not to pray. And we need to make it a priority. And if it's not on your prayer list, it needs to go on your prayer list and put it first. Secondly, I would say to the president, I'm sorry that we have not let you know our beliefs by voting. Again, to stand in the gap is to more than pray. To break through that breach is more than pray. I believe this, that if we pray and we are not willing to put feet to our prayers, our prayers are of no effect. Right? It's that heartfelt prayer. Right? It's that heartfelt prayer. You pray for somebody, you've got to be willing to be a part of the answer. Right? And, and when, when we pray for our nation, being part of the answer means that we go out, we register to vote, and we don't stay home on election day. We go out, we take the time, and we vote. Somebody says, yeah, but my vote won't make any difference. Two things. Number one, you fulfilled your responsibility. You've done what you could do. You prayed and you vote. You fulfill your responsibility before God. You know, it's like when God says, go witness to somebody. How many of you know every time they don't get saved? But yet, you did what you were called to do. You did what you were called to do. In Ezekiel, God said, when you do, when, when you inform them, he said, of judgment that's coming, he says, you fulfilled your part and there's no blood guilt on you. He said, but if you don't do your part, he said, I will hold you responsible for what happens, for their fate. Because, so when we vote and we pray, we've done what we can do. But I, I've got... Uh, little list right here. Matt just pulled this up for me between services. In 1994, in the Wyoming House of Representatives, there was a tie. They did a recount and there was still a tie. So the governor did something kind of unconventional. He took his cowboy hat, put a bunch, couple ping pong balls in there, one name, the name of each guy, and pulled the hat, put his hand in and pulled one out. And that guy was elected. A tie, an absolute tie. In 2010, in Buffalo, New York, a congressional district, uh, the man won by one vote. One vote. Don't think your vote doesn't matter. It does matter. And it especially matters to God that you did what you could do. And when you did what you could do, you basically, you relieve yourself of the responsibility. You pray and you vote and you've done all that you can do. All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment?
Jesus said that the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is what the devil wants to do in your life. If he can kill you, he would. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your health. If he can, he, he will steal the good life that God has planned for you. Why we would serve him one more day, I don't know. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. And if anybody hears and opens that door, he said, I will come in to you. And to Jesus today, if you're away from him, if you're not right with God, today, he's standing at the door of your heart and knocking. And as it says in Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, if you know he's there, don't harden your heart. Don't turn away. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And we're going to pray. And if you pray this prayer, lift your hand and pray this prayer. God's going to meet you right here in this place. You're going to leave right with God. So I want you to get ready to lift your hand when I say three. As you lift your hand, you're saying, first of all, to God, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying, I am not going to let the devil steal, kill, and destroy my life, my family one more day. I am turning my back on him, and I'm coming to Jesus to receive the abundant life that he has for me. Two. Now get ready. You lift your hand. You're saying, today, as Jesus knocks, I open. I open the door to my heart, to my life. He's going to come in. He's going to forgive me, blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of the family of God on my way to heaven. Three, lift your hand right now. Lift it up. Thank you. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, and that hand. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Back there. Thank you. God bless you. Up in the balcony. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Another hand. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Now, would everybody please stand? But if you lifted your hand, would you look right at me? Would you please, wherever you are, move to the aisle that's nearest you. Come right down here. I'm going to come right here. God is going to meet us right here. If you're in the balcony, please make your way down. We're going to wait for you if you'll come down. Wherever you are, if you lifted your hand, make your way. God bless you. Awesome. 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 Over here, back there, up in the balcony. Come on down. From the right, come down. We're going to pray. God's going to meet you today, right here. You know, the Bible says that in heaven, when one of us repents, that the angels are rejoicing. And there's a bunch. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. We've got some more coming. Are there any more coming from the balcony? Yep, still more coming. Great. Oh, here they come. Awesome. Now. And if you lifted your hand, you're not down yet, please come on down. Join us. Right. Romans 10, 13. Wow. Awesome.
Awesome, guys. Listen carefully. This is God's promise. It says, whosoever. So this will work for every single one of you. All you need to do is do this from your heart. We'll call on the name of the Lord. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is what God's promise says. You will be saved. Will be saved. When we say amen, you're forgiven. You're right with God. You're a part of his family, a part of his kingdom. Okay. Every head bowed. Please take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven where our help comes from. And let's pray together. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. And I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you for blood washing me from my sin, that I'm forgiven, that my past is gone, that I am your child, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. Devil, you just lost me. And Jesus, I am yours today and forever. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.